ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast that Scott Bakula does not want you to hear. I don't know who that is. From Quantum Leap. What is Quantum Leap? Oh, I was so excited <laughs> about that. Scott Bakula. <laughs> You'll have to explain it. As always, it'll make sense with time. <laughs> okay, good. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Monkeys and Playbills. <laughs> Hello, everybody. What a great start. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jillian Willems. That's Paul DeGurse. And this is the podcast where we talk about Broadway musicals that had runs of 100 performances or fewer on Broadway. And what the heck happened? And I could not be more thrilled that today we're talking about our first Stephen Sondheim show on this Ooh. podcast. Stephen Sondheim, who is a lesser known composer yeah, in musical theater. Yeah, you may have heard of him, but if yeah. not, just do a quick Google. Stephen Sondheim, who I hadn't done a deep dive on his career in um in a couple years mm -hmm. until I started um, until I did the research for this episode there's plenty of times we could talk about him he's oh, had a yeah. you think of him because you think of home run after home run for Stephen Sondheim yeah. that's not the way his career has gone not the case it's so interesting I'm so excited is there any housekeeping to do before we just dive right on in I think before we start we should probably tell everybody why this week is a little bit different than other episodes I think that makes sense we're talking about Stephen Sondheim's 1964 musical, Anyone Can Whistle. Woohoo! <laughs> like a lot of musicals from this time period, listeners of this podcast will know that we usually, we put these musicals from this era into a revive or die mm -hmm. episode where we talk about three or four of them because there's typically not enough information available to be able to do an entire episode on a show this old. Theater's a live medium. It's not typically recorded um, very, uh, very faithfully, especially in the 50s and 60s. That said, this musical is important enough and fascinating enough and Stephen Sondheim's an interesting enough topic that even though we were not able to get a ton of documentation of what the original Broadway production was like, we thought, oh, there's so much to talk about here. <laughs> there's a lot of context that we can use in order to help catapult us into the other Stephen Sondheim not-so-successful musicals. Absolutely. So the format might end up being a little bit different through this episode. We won't necessarily be talking as much about what we observe from the original production, but we will definitely be talking about Anyone Can Whistle, elements of the original production and of the show as it exists as a whole, and to be honest, how absolutely bananas it is, <laughs> because it turns out that Anyone Can Whistle is... Not actually about whistling. No, it's very much not. There's very little whistling in the show. Very little. There's one. One... Not whistle. It's a very bad whistle. Oh, is that what it sounded like for yours? Yeah. Mine was like... No. When Bernadette did it in mine. Jill and I both watched staged concerts of Anyone Can Whistle, which is the only documented professional New York productions that exist of this show. I watched a 95 benefit. Yeah, and I watched the 2010 encores at, I think, Lincoln Center, right? That's I where they so. do it. Yep, and we both listened to the original Broadway cast recording, mm -hmm. which is um, which exists and is well documented. Did you read the libretto? I did. So I'll be interested to talk yeah, about that. Yeah, that'll be great to discuss for sure. All right. <laughs> can whistle but it's actually the opposite <laughs> no one with <whist> only <laughs> no one whistle in the show most people don't yeah most people don't yeah uh, previews began at the majestic theater on march 24th 1964 it opened on april 4th 1964 and it closed on april 11th 1964 after 12 previews and nine performances nine performances no Oh, wow. Music and lyrics are by Stephen Sondheim. Mm -hmm. Book and um, direction is by uh, Arthur Lawrence. We'll get yep. into that a little bit later, but it's worth noting because these are people who became have become legends Yes, uh, in the uh, Broadway musical theater community. Mm -hmm. So when I think of the Stephen Sondheim shows, I know, because for a musical theater professional, I should say I... I'm not a Sondheim completist like a lot of our friends. Mm -hmm. You're very into Stephen Sondheim. Very. But even still, you didn't know this show. My experience was I knew three songs from it. I knew There Won't Be Trumpets. Yep. I knew, um, I guess I kind of knew Me and My Town a little bit as well. Yeah, a um, little. I knew Anyone Can Whistle the Song. Yes. And I knew, and everybody says don't. Of course. Three great songs. Amazing all songs. All like early Sondheim at his best. Yeah. And that's all I knew. I almost wish we had done a Revive or Die on this so I could try to like describe yeah. what I thought the plot <laughs> what had been. I actually thought because um, it would not ever be the same. It would not be I the would same. encourage everyone listening 
if you have a second, if you want to make this an interactive experience, yes. pause the episode right now, write us what you think Everyone Can Whistle is about, and then listen to when we tell you what it's actually about. Yeah. I'm going to try to summarize this plot. We're going to time this for five minutes, because on observation, we're taking a lo- we've been taking a long time with the recaps. <laughs> And that's not, you guys didn't come to hear us very slowly explain what the show is about. You came to hear our opinions on it. You can look up a synopsis if you really want to wrap your heads around it. Yes. So I'm going to try to do this in five minutes. What a show to do this in five minutes. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. Okay. Ready? Ready? Three, two, one, go. We start on a blank stage, presumably. I don't know that for sure, but we have to assume. (laughs) We start at the top of act one of three, and we're in a American town. Where there is a corrupt mayor. Yes. The mayor is super corrupt. Her um her whole team is super corrupt. And this town was a uh, an industry town. It was building and producing a unnamed product. Mm-hmm. And now everyone who needs that product has that product. So there's no need for it anymore. So this town does not have any money. Yes. That said, this mayor really wants to continue to be mayor. So her and her team come up with a plan to stage a fake miracle. Mm-hmm. And have tourism money start to pour into the town. So the fake miracle is that there's um, water coming out of a rock. Yeah. This town has a water supply problem as well, possibly. I if believe that's kind that, of implied. I believe that yeah. is correct. So this goes very well. Great. There's water from a rock. This water is supposed to have healing properties. Mm-hmm. It um, heals physical and mental ailments. So everyone's very excited about this. Except for this one woman named Faye Apple. Faye mm-hmm. Apple's a nurse. Faye Apple loves rules. She's very strict. This is an archetype that's pretty common in, um, in those the post-1970s musicals. musical yeah. theater canon. <laughs> um, some might say she's Marion the Librarian totally. in a lot of ways. Yeah. But as a nurse, she works at a, uh, a mental health facility. Correct. And she's like, this miracle is for sure bullshit. This is not real. And to prove it, I'm going to take my uh, 49 patients at this mental health facility and I'm going to bring them to the rock. And they're going to splash water on themselves. And when they continue to have um, mental health challenges, mm-hmm. everyone will see that this miracle is not real. Yes. Also worth noting, the mental health facility is called the cookie jar. Yep. And all the patients are referred to as cookies. Correct. That's that's a fact. <laughs> Please do, write to Arthur Lawrence, not us. That's oh, not God. a, this is not our idea. Yeah, not our language. Not this our language. Not- <laughs> they go to do that. But instead of the um, the mental health patients splashing water on themselves, uh-huh. they just escape. Yes. Something happens. I can't remember what now and the timer is going, but the um, something happens and they escape into the general population. And everyone's like, oh no, we can't tell who are regular townspeople and who are mental health patients. Yes. This is a disaster. And then a handsome young doctor shows up and goes, I have a strategy. I have a way to tell who's a uh, mental health patient and who's a uh, townsperson right. who um, isn't a mental health patient. I'm going to sort them into two categories, category one and category A. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this song goes on for like 15 minutes. Oh, it's so and long. at the end of it, everyone's like, well, wait a minute. That didn't help at all. No one knows which yeah. one category one is and which one category A is. What do those mean? Yeah. Doesn't matter. End of act one. Top of act two. Tensions are high between the two groups. Mm-hmm. No one can figure out, wait a minute. Are we the mental health group or are we the, um, the, no, the townsperson group? Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, Faye Apple dons a disguise to try to figure this out. Oh, yes. um, as a French person, how am I doing? One minute, yeah. 13 seconds? Yeah. Okay, she dons a disguise as a French person <laughs> to try to get Hapgood to tell her. Hapgood is the doctor who sorted people into different groups to try to yep. tell her which group is which. Uh-huh. Instead of that, they kind of half fall in uh, half fall in love. Yeah. He's like, oh, you need to chill out more. You need to learn how to whistle. <laughs> she sings a song called Anyone Can Whistle. Except and then, me. Except me, because yeah. she doesn't know how to whistle. Um, they, um, they're intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he reveals, actually, I'm also a ment- uh, one of the escaped um, patients of a mental health facility. <laughs> and Faye Apple, rather, tears up all the, um, all the records. Yes. Um, of the um, mental health patients. End of Act 2. Yeah. Top of Act 3 are... Evil Mayor, how, how am I doing? 30 seconds. 30 seconds, our Evil Mayor, Cora. Oh, shoot, I don't remember. They start arresting everyone. They start arresting all the different people they just need. We need, we need. we need 49 people arrested. We're just going to do whatever it takes. Yeah. And Faye is like, Hapgood, you have to reveal that this is fake. This is no good. And Hapgood's like, no, tensions are very high. And um, the mental patients try to run away. And there's a big dance sequence called the Cookie Ballet. And finally... <laughs> I was so close. You were so Finally, close. Finally, at the very but end. But you should finish it for sure. At the very end, Faye ends up being arrested. Faye Apple ends up being arrested as one of the mental patients. Hapgood reveals, oh, this miracle is fake. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Faye, maybe you should like just chill out a bit and learn to like let life go. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't think I can do that. Yep. Cora, the evil mayor, runs off with her 
police chief? I, I would assume one of the right? people in her cabinet. The kind of the story wraps up kind of like a farce would. Yes. Almost. They go, oh, this town still doesn't have any money, but you know what? This um, mental health institution, the cookie jar, is so successful. Why don't we just make the whole town one big mental health facility to um, take care of everyone? So that's a resolution for Cora. Finally, Faye is like, oh, I've this has been a, such a mess. I haven't really learned how to let go and enjoy life. Yeah. So she goes to the rock and she's looking for Hapgood, who's her now her lost love. Mm-hmm. And she tries to whistle and she whistles really badly. And then he appears and says, oh, that was great. Now we're going to be together. And then water flows from the rock and it's an actual miracle. Boom. Boom. That was pretty good. That was not, that was a hard one to, um, to start doing this five minute limit on. Well, especially because it's three acts. Especially because three, and it's, (laughs) for a three act musical, not a ton happens in this show. It's true. As you, like, there's a lot of just inert action. There's not, nothing super drives this plot forward. Yeah. So let's talk about Stephen Sondheim. And what led up to the creation of this musical? I would love to. Uh, my first Sondheim exposure, I suppose, was lyrics for West Side Story. Sure. And I don't yeah. remember how I learned that he had done the lyrics. Like, I sure. can't recall if I learned that before learning about the rest of his body of work or if right. I, yeah. Or just if recognized him as a fact. byline on the sheet yeah, music or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. And then from there, it just snowballed and it was like, oh, I got to learn about company into the woods. I got to learn about merrily. That was a huge sure. one for me, which yeah. we will address one day. Absolutely. But, I think like most yeah. people who have worked in musical theater at some point do, there's mm-hmm. no question he is, I would say, the most influential and celebrated musical theater composer ever. I would agree I think with he that. takes that mantle from Rodgers and Hammerstein. Like, I, and I, I thought about this a little bit because I knew I was going to make that statement, but that's a fact, I think. Yeah. He is the, the most influential and celebrated musical theater composer and lyricist of all time. And so what is the, the Hammerstein connection? Well, this is what's really cool about Stephen Sondheim is that, so growing up, tough family life, his, um, his dad walked out on his family, his mom his relationship with his mom was really not good. His mom was an abusive person. Yeah. So he ended up forming a really father-son mentor-mentee relationship with his friend's father. His friend's <laughs> father was Oscar Hammerstein, famed Broadway lyricist and partner, um, creative partner to famed Broadway composer uh, Richard Rogers. Oscar Hammerstein became Stephen Sondheim's mentor in the early parts of his career. Stephen Sondheim was already interested in musical theater, was writing music. He... Uh, Wrote us like a musical making fun of his prep school that he went yeah. to. It was called By George, if I recall correctly. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. And he was like, I love this. Everyone in school loves this. This is great. <laughs> Uncle Oscar, whatever he called him, check this out. Isn't this great? Yeah. And the legend goes, Oscar Hammerstein was like, this is bad. I'll be, I'll be straight up with you, Stevie. This is no good. Yeah. But I respect you enough. Do you want me to tell you why it's no good? Um, Stephen Sondheim said, yeah, of course I do. Yeah. This this is all the stuff of legend. This is all very, this is just as much canon, part of the canon as any um, any show is at this point. Oscar Stephen Sondheim's line is, I learned more about musical theater writing in that afternoon than most people do in a lifetime of study. Which is, you know, probably Probably. true. (laughs) Like he has the receipts, you know what I mean? It checks out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It feels very much like a handing of the baton. Oscar Hammerstein gives him an assignment, write four musicals. Um, to kind of start your career off. One musical based on a play you love that's never been turned into a musical before. One musical that's based on a play you like but think is flawed. Turn mm-hmm. that into a musical. One based on a novel that hasn't been turned into a musical yet. And one original musical. That I don't, is bananas. Is that an incredible assignment? None of them became super well-known Sondheim pieces. Right. And I don't believe he actually finished all four of the assignments. One became All That Glitters, mm. the play he liked but thought was flawed. That musical never actually saw a production, but it was based on a play called High Tor. Um, existing novel was a Mary Poppins musical that never saw the um, light of day. The original became a musical called Climb High, which I'm not familiar with, oh, but I'm I think saw, um, okay. saw some kind of production at some point. Wow. So after that, he goes to university. He studies yeah. with famed composer Milton Babbitt, mm. who combined with Oscar Hammerstein gives him his skill for lyrics, and Miss Milton Babbitt teaches him how, um, how to manipulate music to um, work with those lyrics. And from there, he hits, a, um, hits his professional career. Starts off mostly as a lyricist. He does write the music and lyrics for Saturday Night, which I, but I don't think that sees the light of day for a long time. I don't think it was a long time yeah. before it actually was produced yeah. professionally. 
but he ends up through his um through his connections with his mentor Oscar Hammerstein ends up getting a couple of big gigs. He knows right out of university I want to write music and lyrics, but Oscar Hammerstein says, "Hey, let's get you a couple of gigs mm-hmm. just writing lyrics first for other um skilled composers." Um, the first one is West Side Story. Could you imagine being like, oh, the first musical I wrote lyrics for was the timeless and forever hit. One of the yeah. best musicals of all time. <laughs> oh my God. Working with a literally one of the most brilliant classical slash musical theater composers of the 20th century who is also famously temperamental Yo, and kind yes. of a dick. Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> and helmed by Jerome Robbins, who is also oh famously God. a very intense person to work with. Yeah. So young, young Stephen Sondheim does that gig, does it real well, and is like, all right, I'm ready to have a whole career now, writing music and lyrics. Great, I've got a gig doing music and lyrics for a musical about the life of Gypsy Rose Lee. Oh. Ethel Merman is attached and has just gotten done doing a musical with a first-time composer and lyricist and goes, I'm not interested in that. Yes. You've got to hire a different composer. I'll, I'll tolerate a new lyricist, but I'm not comfortable working with Stephen Sondheim as composer and lyricist on this. So they end up getting um, Joel Stein mm-hmm. to do the um, music, also a very brilliant Broadway composer. Stephen Sondheim's like, I don't want to do this. I want to be a composer. Yeah. Oscar Hammerstein, Uncle, o- Uncle Oscar, what should I do? Uncle Oscar says, Stevie, you should do it. You're yeah. like 25. Yeah, this like, is a good gig. Make your piece. <laughs> <laughs> also, if I'm not mistaken, there was a show between that really was bad. In between the two projects, he starts to work on a show based on Roman mythology. Oh, okay. Which eventually... After he finishes his work on Gypsy, he continues to bring that forward. And it becomes his first musical to premiere on Broadway with both music and lyrics by him. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum. That's it. And it's a big old, a big old hit. But he's not a big old hit. People are like, I don't know about the music yeah. in um, Funny Thing Happened. Uh, and you know, and you listen to it, Funny Thing Happened, the music's pretty good. Yeah. But it's like, it's not Sondheim at the height of his power by Certainly any not. means. No. I would argue even that you start to actually see glimmers of Sondheim brilliance for the first time in this, his next show, his sophomore slump, Anyone Can Whistle. Yeah. Okay. Not that this is a good musical by any means, but... But the voice that we're starting to hear. You know what yeah. I mean? When you listen yeah. to the song, Anyone Can Whistle, or There Will Be Trumpets or something, you're yeah. like, well, that's a Sondheim song. Totally. Um. So that brings us up to date. Yeah. After Anyone Can Whistle... He goes on to write Company, mm-hmm. um, a musical which becomes an enormous runaway hit yeah. and establishes him as a powerhouse and begins what most people would recognize as like the, the Sondheim streak. Yes. We should leave it at that. And also I would encourage everyone to listen to Sondheim on Sondheim. Yeah. It's probably on like iTunes, I don't know, one of those places. <laughs> <laughs> Where Sondheim just talks about his life, then they play his music along with it. It's really uh, amazing. Like I will say, something else you should check out, it'll only take you a few minutes, is part of what inspired me at least to push for um, doing Anyone Can Whistle when we started talk brainstorming for what we were going to do for this season, was Sondheim just appeared on The Late Show with oh Stephen Colbert gosh. and I does an incredible so interview. <sighs> it's a really good interview. He's very old at this point. Yeah. And is still extremely sharp and is still working. He started a new project. Yes. It's incredible and it's very inspiring to see someone who embodies art so much and is such a a freaking like Gandalf of musical theater at this point, you know? (laughs) I'm going to cry thinking about that interview. Yeah, it's so good. And that makes talking about this even better because at this point people were like, what is this bullshit? Yeah. No, this is, who's this kid? This is bullshit. Yeah. Oh, all right. It feels cool to be talking about Sondheim on this show. All right, let's do it. Book by Arthur Lawrence. Music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. Orchestrated by Don Walker. Vocal arrangements by Herbert Green. And dance arrangements by Betty Wahlberg. Now, we should talk about what dance arrangements mean because I believe a long time ago, Sheena Stemmler had asked us. Dear friend of the podcast, Sheena Stemmler. To maybe describe the different arrangers and what that means. And I don't think we've had an opportunity yet to describe dance arrangements. So here we go. Dance arranging is a really cool job. So typically, if you were to describe the staff on a um, the development of a new musical, of a big old new musical that you're going to want to fully orchestrate and put up on a Broadway stage, the music department would have a, um, a few different staff members in it. Mm-hmm. You'd have a music director or maybe even music supervisor would be the title at the yeah. top of the pyramid there with the, um, with the composer. The music director and music supervisor is responsible for making sure that all elements of the, of the music of the show are working together to tell the story and execute the show. So working with the composer to um, translate their work 
into something that is workable on stage. They might be doing arrangements, that is to say, taking the composer's work and um, turning it into a form that is going to work on stage. There might be someone else doing that arranging instead. Mm -hmm. There will also potentially be someone else, depending on the size of the show, doing vocal arranging specifically. That is to say, writing the parts for ensemble and individuals to sing. Once again, they might be doing that separately. There will be an orchestrator actually figuring out what the instruments are going to play. Yes. Definitely working separately because that's an enormous job on Ooh. their own. And the deadlines on Broadway shows, things happen pretty quick. No kidding. Another job that is pretty typically separate is the dance arranger. So this is because a lot of the time, not always, but a lot of the time, you end up splitting into two rooms. In one room, you've got the director and the music director working away on a on a scene or a um, whatever, what have you, creating something beautiful for the play. Mm -hmm. And in another room, you have the choreographer with the ensemble or a chunk of the ensemble figuring out just an incredible dance number. Mm -hmm. So in the room with that choreographer will be someone, a representative of the music staff, typically an associate or an assistant music director, who is also making up what the dance music is going to be yeah. along with the choreographer making up the music. Right. They are improvising based on the themes laid out by the composer, arranger, and music director. Mm. They are making up dance arrangements to the amount of counts that the, uh, that the choreographer needs and then hands those arrangements off to the arranger and the orchestrator to fit into the entire arrangement. Brilliant. It's an incredible job. It's, um, I'd like to think if I was living in New York and had a big enough music staff, that would be my job because yeah. <laughs> it's, um, something I love to do. I love being about in the middle of a music yeah, team like and I love improvising. Yeah, really collaborative yeah. and Absolutely. And I love working with dancers. And, yeah. yeah, totally. So that's what dance arrangements are specifically and as to why that ends up being a separate job a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. It's mostly actual time and division of labor. Cool. Isn't that cool? Okay, should we start with the book or the music and lyrics? Let's start with the book. Okay. So that we can talk about how bananas this show is <laughs> and how bananas shows were in the 60s. Because this is not unique. No, because what were we talking about on one of our Reviver dies? Happy as Larry. Happy as Larry. And it kind of has a similar sort of like wacky door slamming vibe, but also like otherworldly. Like, yeah. I don't know. There's some Friggin' elements of fantasy. Brigadoon's Friggin yeah. a very well-known, well-loved show. That show's bananas. Yeah, that's so true. Right? So, so okay, the book. Where yeah. do we even begin? So Arthur Lawrence... Is a very is famous, this. very big player in um, in Broadway history. Yes. Has written a lot of um, really nice scripts. Mm -hmm. Has directed a lot of really nice pieces. Yeah. This isn't the first time him and Sondheim collaborated. This might be their, f their first collaboration, but the first of many. Or is it the second? It's the second because he did the book for West Side Story. So their second after the wildly successful right. <laughs> West Side Story. Yeah. Which And that's a really nice book. Arthur Lawrence does a, created that slang that's um, very... Um, very bizarre to listen to now, but the whole point was this slang is going to be timeless rather than actually including slang at the right. time. I love the book, To West Side Story. Personally. I do I think too, it's actually. Yeah. I think it's really well crafted. Okay, I think we need to split the book category into like subcategories. Yes, let's do it. Because a part of me feels like we need to address like plot-wise what we're dealing with, but also like in terms of dialogue itself. Absolutely. There's things to address. Yeah. Okay, okay. Let's talk about structure of, yeah. of the story. I think that... This is a very bizarre structure. This is a very bizarre story to tell. Mm -hmm. And I don't, maybe I had to be alive in the 60s. I don't get it, Jill. I like it. I like it. Okay. <laughs> really? Well, no, great. No judgment. No, really? I need to figure Good out for a you. way to. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's neat. So I love the music man. Uh, so do I. Um, and I love that sort of, yeah, that type of story where a person who believes they're like going to be the savior of the town comes yeah. in and has something handed to them. A small Midwestern town yeah. in the States. Yeah. So I've always liked that trope, but I just feel like this is that trope with like more door slamming and more outrageous archetypes. There's like an extra point they're trying to make here where with the music man, they're doing talking a lot about the nature of like of love versus being a con man. The other thing that Sondheim does, which we start to see around this time, is is he starts to do this thing where he is trying to make a point to the audience uh, about our our complicitness in this type of show. So, for Absolutely. example, he turns the idea of like who is quote unquote crazy on its head yep. by being like, oh, we're all we're cookies all... in this cookie jar, Absolutely, right? Yeah. And so by the end of act one, that's what you're left feeling. Yep. I think we see that a lot in his other shows where you're like, oh, an assassins, I'm clapping for 
assassins and yeah, in, in Sweeney I'm clapping and I'm cheering for, for a serial killer, a serial killer. like yeah and so yeah I see that and I see it as the beginnings of that yeah that he got better that. at doing later they take a long time to make a not very interesting <laughs> point so I suppose is it you know what I mean no you're right you're yeah. right it does take but I do way I, too I, long. I'll agree with that completely I think it is an interesting point and is a very these are themes that he will carry on to the rest of his career in a very big way yeah and yeah. it's very clear to me that Lawrence and Sondheim collaborated excessively on everything. Yeah. Which is why I'm using the two of them almost interchangeably in this way because they're very close collaborators. Yeah. It feels so intimate in terms of their collaboration. So, yeah, in terms of the story structure, I think there's something there. It did not age well at all. No, it yeah. super does. And it's super <laughs> just the, the, the idea of a, um, a mental health facility. Obviously, they use um, terminology that's yeah. a, um, a lot more problematic than that. Totally. Um, and just the idea of that as a central plot point is something that in this day and age, you're promoting a lot of unhealthy ideas that are... Yeah. It makes the show feel very dated. It does. Yeah. It really, really does. I also feel, and I don't know about the 95 concert that mm-hmm. you saw, were they all wearing like concert outfits, like dresses and yes. stuff? Yes, um, Bernadette was in a ball gown, Scott Bakula was in a suit, etc., etc. Okay. In the concert that I saw, they were kind of wearing things that were a little more period PC, like sure. a little more 60s, which helped. That's kind of Encore's jam as well, isn't it? Yes. Whereas um, the concert, the 95 concert, which was the first time it had been presented professionally in New York yeah. since um, its Broadway premiere, was like a fundraiser for gay men's health crisis. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's very much like a gala. Yeah, I found it really like much like a period piece. Yeah, I consider I I call it a period piece. Yeah. You know what? Let me let me give you my take on what doesn't yeah. work about this okay. structure. If we accept the metaphor and the use of a, a mental health institution as a product of the time, yes, and we've acknowledged that's problematic, and we move on from that. Yep. You establish the um the mayor Cora as this enormous character in the first third of the first act, and then she just disappears. Yeah, it does dwindle. I did my listen before I did my watch, and before I'd read a plot synopsis or anything. And so for the first few songs in the original Broadway cast, the mayor is played by Angela Lansbury in her first stage appearance. Oh God! And I'm like. Holy shit, fucking yeah. Angela. And she sounds great. She sounds amazing. It's awesome. And then by the time we get to the end of Act One, she's being phased out. And we have this new yeah. character, Faye Apple, who becomes central to the rest of the story. Yes. And maybe it's just the weight that I'm giving to Angela Lansbury at this point um, that made, made me be like, where'd she go? I thought the show was about her. It was going to be great. I was really excited. Yeah. I thought she was going to sing Anyone Can Whistle and everyone was going to love it. Yes. Um, and that none of that, none of that happens. Right. And you're just, you're shifting back and forth through a lot of characters. I'd love to compare and contrast Music Man. I, we did this on the Leap of Faith episode as well, because just because I think we both love Music Man so much. <laughs> I know. Music Man starts with Harold Hill. Yeah. We get to know, or get people talking about Harold Hill even. Yes. Um, and getting to know him. And great, that's fantastic because this whole show is going to be centered around Harold Hill. Yeah. Anyone Can Whistle starts with Angela Lansbury singing <laughs> about me and my town. I love this. This yeah. town is mine. I run it. I'm corrupt. I'm a mayor. I run it. Look at my jewels. You could kind of remove Angela Lansbury from this plot and still find a way to have Cora yes. and Hapgood have the arc that they have. I agree. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think so that's, right. I think that's the big problem with this show is who is this a feature for? It's treated like it's a feature for like yes, three different performers that's... and it ends up being a feature for none of them except maybe Cora. I mean, Faye. Cora is the mayor. Faye is the nurse. Faye Thank is you. the nurse. Thank yes. you, Daphne. Yeah. <laughs> for someone who has no knowledge of this show, well done. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I pay attention. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> so my thoughts were swirling around this yeah. as well because I'm like, why isn't it more specific? Why is yes. the plot so general? That's exactly what it feels and like. And I wonder, okay, Rogers and Hammerstein do this thing where they have their main plot point and then they have their sub-romantic And it is very clearly structured in the same way. But it's like they wanted to actively get away from that as well at the same time. Right, away from the Oklahoma, yeah, um, the freaking Curly South and Lori, or and, Carousel um, and whatever. Absolutely, like, yeah, yeah. Or like the first two thirds of their career, they yeah. hit these beats. Absolutely, yeah, and it worked. Yeah, we yeah. we did a whole video essay on this at the Bills Conservatory. You can check it out on our YouTube channel. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, <laughs> and so I thought a bit about that too, where I'm yeah. like, well, that was only twenty years after, not even. This is all still pretty recent in what we know of, like, the This is just the next step after the Rodgers and Hammerstein move. I mean, not that things move in eras. You know, you can see people like Jewel Stein are starting to take, and and 
um, Leonard Bernstein are starting to take steps in this direction. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. It's not. Yeah. So it might fall victim a little bit to that old structure while also simultaneously trying to get out of it. It's much closer than we are to rent right now. Okay. Isn't that a cool way to look at it? Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. It's like us to Wicked right now. I don't know. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Alarming. Humbling. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Very fair. Oh my God. That is my feeling about the structure. The other thing I'd like to bring up, and this might make some people mad. Yep. Very few playwrights, composers have successfully written women. And especially at this time. Really not until you have heavy hitters like Janine Tesori. When exactly. you're like, oh, that is a fully fledged, fully realized. Oh, there's a lady there's a There's yeah. a whole musical about Fun Home or something, yes. for example. Right. Where there's a fully realized arc. And- yeah. I feel as though this book especially, and I will say that some of the music and lyrics do fall victim to that as well. So yeah, that's something that really came up for me. Like in the scene where we first meet uh, Faye Apple, A-double-P-L-E, she has this long monologue, like a full page of monologue. And then where she's standing up for these people. She's standing up for herself, what she believes in. She's very strong-willed. And then immediately goes into the song, There Won't Be Trumpets, which is about a hero coming to help them. And I'm like, dude, you're the hero. Like, you just did the heroic thing. So now why are we backtracking and have you sing a song about basically Sondheim's answer to someone to watch over me? It's like... That's a great take. You know? Absolutely. And it really, really irked me because I love the song. Yeah. So then I'm like, oh, I don't like the song in that context now. And as we go later into Sondheim's career, these brilliant songs are perfect in the moment. Yep. Sending the Clowns is perfect. Stay With Me is perfect in the moment. There Won't Be Trumpets, I would argue, is equally as strong of a song, Mm -hmm. but dramatically isn't nearly... It's dramatically inert. Yeah. It stops the show. Right. Yeah. So it's a great song and a great monologue that Arthur Lawrence wrote. It's a really good driving monologue. But yeah, I just, that really bugged me. (laughs) I think that's a, I think that's a really fair take is we've got two dudes who have written awesome shows that say a lot that mostly have male um, protagonists and antagonists. Both of them went on to continue to do other shows that, and they developed in their art and um, have crafted a lot of really well-rounded stories. Mm -hmm. But I'd say that's probably one of the reasons this show really doesn't hit because these characters feel inauthentic. Yes. What about on the micro level? That's the macro level. On the micro level, what about the dialogue? I like it. Yeah. It's so Broadway it's in the like 60s. It's like snappy. Yeah. Oh, it's... Back and forth. Absolutely. Farce. Yeah. It is a little long though, I'll say. Yep. I agree. But it's super... How would you describe it? It's like... Door slamming. Door slamming. Yeah. 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 This became the rhythm for dialogue for Broadway until like the mega musical hit. Yep. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like just quippy. Lots of quips. Quips oh my left God. and right. Like, these people yeah. are so smart and yeah. simultaneously not. Like, it's Absolutely. Ama- I really like that. Absolutely. I really like that. And then that continues as Sondheim goes to different book writers. It's always this quippy. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, which again makes me think about how collaborative yeah. that whole thing must that's, be. That's also what his music is. That's also oh, how yeah. he talks. He talks in quips. He He's really uh, like, does. Take any Sondheim interview, you would print a quote on a t-shirt from any yeah. thing he said. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> He's an incredibly intelligent, incredibly quippy man. Okay, so it's worth noting that this libretto is 122 pages long. Jesus. So it's long. Yeah. But it moves quick because it's like a two or three words per per line. Absolutely. So it just yeah. goes and goes. Worth noting, we're taking a long time on the music on the book. We're probably going to take a long time on the lyrics, and that's because this is what we have to evaluate this show by. Don't you worry. We're going to motor through this quickly, but this is this is what's worth talking about with anyone can whistle at this point and what we have to evaluate why the show is successful or not. Mm-hmm. That's our evaluation of, um, of Arthur Lawrence. Let's talk about the music and lyrics, though. Total bop. Total, Total bop. bop. This is, I would argue, the first great Sondheim score. This is an yeah. incredible score. It has everything. It oh. has nods to Bernstein. It yeah. has nods to Porter. It has yeah. nods to, who did I just say? Gershwin's. Big ensemble stuff. That's gospel-y. Like, it's there's gospel-y. a lot of it's gospel. There's some belting. Stuff that you'll see him do really well again in, like, he does cool ensemble stuff in Sweeney, but, like, ensemble stuff of this style, he doesn't really. Merrily, he does Is that counterpoint thing, right? right? Where it's, like, lots of layering. And, and you know what? In, in Night Music, a little bit later as well, yes. he does that. What I was thinking of is Sunday, though, is what it reminds me of. Is the glorious, sure. all the glorious stuff at the end of um, Act 1 of Sunday. Oh. In the um, the 95 concert, they have a choir separate from the oh, ensemble. Oh, see, I like that. And it's, oh, it sounds nice. It I sounds like absurdly that. good. 
like I said, I only knew three songs from this show beforehand. Mm-hmm. Trumpets. Yeah. Anyone Can Whistle. Everybody Says Don't. Those are great songs. Those are some of the best songs written in the last 50, in the last 100 years for musical yeah. theater. They're bops. And the songs that aren't those songs as well are also great. I agree. Me and My Town. Me Amazing, and My Town is a jazzy. great song. Oh, I love it. I also really like when they're doing the cookie ballet, which is, uh, I think, act three, right? Act three. Correct. Um, where they're rounding up everyone and arresting yeah. everyone. There's this really interesting part where the, they sing a trio in tight harmony. Yes. Lock them up. Put them yeah, away. yeah, totally, totally, absolutely. It's something like that. And it's gorgeous. It's stunning. And, it's like, and then they go faster yep. and more staccato. And it's like effective in a totally different way. You're seeing exactly the tools that he's going to use again in... um. Yeah, Driver Person Crazy from Company just a few years later. Like something really clicked for Sondheim between a funny thing and this as far as a com- being a composer. Oh, so good. Um, which is why I imagine it was probably very frustrating for him that this show was such a big flop because <sighs> at least from his perspective, he's ready. He's there. Yeah, like because yeah. this is really, in my mind, the recognizable style. I just, agree, for the first time where there's yeah. just hints of it in Funny Thing. Yes. Yeah. You know how last time you were excited about Carrie because you were like, oh, this is the first kind of musical that I've really actually wanted to like learn. I feel that way about this score. I want to do a concert version of um, Anyone Can Whistle after this. Yeah, I love that. I think we should definitely do it. We might skip Simple, which is the end of Act 1, 20 minute song where we meet Hapgood and he's dividing people in A and B. And that's also where, like, because there's big sections of dialogue. Grass is green, sky is blue. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And they're always, he has does this thing where he's calling people by his name. Yeah. And he's calling everyone half good. And it has the rhythm of being quippy, but maybe it just doesn't translate to the mid-2000s now. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I get confused and bored. It's, that would be my qualm. Yeah. 100%. I think that one is very like Dr. Seuss. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Which maybe if we read it as just text... It would be really interesting. It would be cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when it's sung, it's actually quite hard to keep track of what's happening. Maybe that's Absolutely. the point. Maybe yeah. that's the point. I had trouble in a staged production keeping track of yeah. what's happening. <laughs> and even, that's fine. But then it's 15 minutes long. It's literally yeah. 15 minutes long. The nice thing about this um, soundtrack, though, yeah. is that it was captured, I want to say, almost in its entirety. Like maybe some of the transition music is missing, but yeah. everything else is there. Which is all, so great. A very effective cast recording for its uh, for its time, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I think we should do some ratings. Do we <gasps> okay. want to evaluate both together or them separately? Separate. Okay, so for Arthur Lawrence book and story, out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys would you give the book and story? Five and a half? Six? Okay, I would go, I would say four. Oh. I would say... Because the concept brings it down so the concept much? Brings the... It down, the concept brings it down. Yeah. The length brings it down. I hate a long show. Yeah, this Especially a long, long show without a point. If it's if it's Les Mis or Color Purple or something yes. where it's a big epic great, but yes, we get it. Who's crazy? Yeah. Is it society? I don't know. <laughs> Frickin', well, I know. I know. For Lawrence, yeah. it's hard. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> so that's my... But what about Stephen Sondheim's music and lyrics? Um, eight and a half. It's so tough for me to evaluate. Great, great rating. Yeah. It's so tough for me to evaluate because like, it's Stephen Sondheim. Anyone can whistle a better show than even any other composer will write in their life. You know what I mean? It's, it's, inc- yeah, I just love this style. Yeah. I really do. Everything about the way the music and the lyrics parse together. Yeah. Easy. Just oh, that jumps. interval. That's a, that's a little bit from Anyone Can Whistle. Also, I could fight a dragon. Easy. Yeah. You know which interval is hard? Anyone can whistle. There it is. I Very always, good. Very good. get it wrong. Okay. Okay. Direction will reference. Yep. Directed by Arthur Lawrence. Musical director was Herbert Green. And so it this was... is before Paul Dimignani is um, on yeah. board for Sondheim. Paul Dimignani is the um, resident music director for Stephen Sondheim and is by far one of the best music directors and conductors in Broadway history. Yes. I think his first with Sondheim was Sweeney. Anyways, that's beside yes. the point. Yep. And choreographed by Herbert Ross. Okay, so because we didn't get a chance to see any of the original production, I tried to research people's opinions about what they saw. And it seemed like they really liked the movement aspects. So the cookie ballet was apparently very well choreographed, well staged. So kudos to Herbert Ross for Mm -hmm. that. 
Okay, Angela Lansbury has this video on YouTube where she's talking about Anyone Can Whistle. It's about cool. six minutes long. It's, Very cool. It's worth watching. Yeah. Because also she's adorable. Yeah. Where she talks about how, because she hadn't really sung and she didn't know. That's so fun. I know. She's so good. She's so good. But because she hadn't, <laughs> she didn't have the language surrounding technique. Like she just yeah. didn't know what anything meant. And apparently this music director, Herbert Green, would grab them by their throats and make them sing when he was holding their throats. Don't do that, Herbert Green. That's a very bad idea. That's a terrible thing to do. Like, yeah, it was really hard on me. It was hard on the the original um original Faye. Yeah. Lee Remick, I think. Fancy that. That's abusive. That's a disaster. And for me, I'm just like, this person obviously is a terrible communicator. You know? Absolutely. Because like how how? How do you need to do that? Hot take here at Monkeys and Playbills, yeah. we do not condone physical abuse in the rehearsal hall. Yeah. And it's just a shocking reminder that that's, even as late as the 60s, was still something in play. Oh, yeah. Right? Absolutely. Ugh. So anyway, I wanted to maybe mention a couple of those things. Right. Um, also, we need to call out the fact that there was an Act 3 tap number. There was an Act 3 tap? Absolutely hey. there was. Oh, yeah. We love to see it. Yeah. This, this show, even though it's a three-act instead of a two-act, hits a lot of the traditional Broadway beats that have kind of become codified. Yes. I don't have anything else because, you know. Yeah, I, I, I would even know? go so far as to say I don't even think we should rate this. No, I think um, we should move we should on. acknowledge it. The only thing I was going to say we are qualified to talk about was possibly the music direction. Right. Um, because we've heard that original cast recording, but now knowing that guy know? sounds like a friggin' tool. Boo. Friggin' zero monkeys. Don't yeah, grab zero. people by the throat. That sucks. <laughs> zero. Instead, 10 stars to Angela Lansbury who didn't want to do this because the score was too hard, didn't want to do Sweeney because the score was too hard. Oh, God. And is literally incredible. I wish she was my grandma. Like, I love my grandma, but like, I also wish Angela Lansbury was my grandma too. Should we talk about the design? Sure. <laughs> Scenic design by William and Jean Eckert. Uh, costume design by Taoni V. Aldridge. Yep. And lighting design by Jules Fisher. I know nothing about the design yeah, for this original Broadway either, production. Although it, based on my read-through of the script, it yeah. seems like a lofty set. Great. Like, it seems like it had a lot of parts, components. I can see where they would have to be. You've got a few different locations going on. Yeah. You have a giant rock that needs to roll on and yeah. off. And needs to have water flow from it. I know in the concert they used like glitter, which I thought was oh, great. Oh, did they? In our concert, they didn't even have a rock. That concert was like a true concert though. It is super a true Encore's concert. Encore's borders for me. So there we are. That's the that's Appla- the game. Applause to them. Once again, I don't think we can evaluate. Congratulations. Congratulations. You did it. Absolutely. You put a show on stage. Well done. Great. There's, yeah. For, based on the reviews... None of the problems were with your work, right? Yeah, I mean, the costumes look quite nice. Yeah. They look very clean and... Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, I like it. Good job. I know that the budget was like, they they ended up getting $350,000 from backers, which is probably no small amount of money at that time. No, absolutely not. Also, it's funny to me that there's a whistle on a lot of this artwork. Yeah. When it's like, just, I feel like it might be the wrong name for this show. I agree completely. And I really take issue with it. it. What would you call this show? Producer Daft is not on mic, but Producer Daft just suggested the cookie jar. Uh, Something about the miracle, because there might be a double entendre there about miracles or something in the water in the rock or uh, something water from a stone and there's a ton there's a ton of like religious um, references in this too so maybe there's something in that you know what it reminds me of one of my favorite shows of all time Mm -hmm. is act two of see what I want to see yeah Um, which is my favorite show ever and act two is all about a fake miracle in a park that turns out to be real and it's stunning it's so good (laughs) and parts of it I was just like oh man this just makes me want to listen to act two of see what I want to see instead instead (laughs) yeah totally well, there we go. Good job, designers. Great. Let's talk about the performances we saw and then the ones we heard on the original This is what I want to do. I want, I want to get to talking about the readings we saw because that's something of interest as well. It really is. Yeah. So... Let's so talk you about yours first. Okay, we'll talk about mine. So yeah. 2010. 2010 encores. Uh, so Donna Murphy played, cool. played uh, uh, Cora, yeah. and that was remarkable. Yeah. She is amazing. She's a masterclass in interpreting music, yeah. to me anyway. I just yeah. gravitate toward her performances. And then we had uh, Sutton Foster playing Faye Apple, which sounded gorgeous and yeah. just like... Is that the right hit for her? Actually, yeah. I Interesting, think so. hey? 
It's like a mush of all the characters she's ever played. Yeah. I think of her as more like, <laughs> go get him. I'm scrappy, but here I am. Which works actually quite well for Faye yeah. in the 21st century. Yeah. And we've kind of, it seems like at this point we've accepted Sutton as the next diva. I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She has the sort of classic Broadway sound. Absolutely. That really works for this. The interesting thing is that I find vocally she sounds like a trumpet. Sure. And so when she's singing, yep. there won't be trumpets. It's like really funny to me. Yeah. It's not funny, but it's, it's like, yeah, absolutely. it's neat to listen to. And then dear friend of the podcast, Raul Esparza is oh, in this. Oh, yeah. And he's really good. I actually really like him in the role of Hapgood. I can see that. He's yeah. really excellent. He's kind of perfect for it because he he's good at the charming thing yeah. and like this ties back yeah. to what we were getting at in the leap of faith episode i bet he'd be a good harold hill I and leap so of faith too. is just a weird show i yeah. would agree with Absolutely. that because the more that i'm like seeing him in different better things yeah. the more i'm like oh well obviously like i was just not enjoying that performance of his and he sings sondheim next his body that's is true. so good because yeah. he gets the text and that's yeah. like just a huge part of it very cool hi guys oh big stretch Oh, the producer, associate one, producer Gus. One must say, we're at Paul's place this time. Dog stretches on you, hi, <laughs> buddy. He was let it be known he was sleeping like right behind me for the whole cute. recording. It was very adorable. Um, yeah. Who? Um. So how how is it? How's the show? It's really great. Yeah, I like it. I think it's vibrant and yeah. high energy. I think it's still dated. It's still yeah. misogynist. It's still, like, it's yeah. still, These are facts. like, you know, uses ableist language, but they did modify and cut down, um, which I thought was a good choice. Yeah, what about your experience? The 95 reading is weird. So we've got Madeline Kahn as Cora. That's right. Um, the incredible Madeline Kahn, Ugh. who, for what my read is on, on this production, but Madeline Kahn's not incredible. Oh, And I love okay. her, love her, love yeah, her. Yeah, but just in this um, In this role, she's not incredible. Okay. Bernadette Peters as um, Bernadette Faye. Peters. Bernadette Peters. Yeah, easy choice in, in so 95, right? So it won't be trumpets. Yeah. <laughs> you have we not like? done this? We've got a good, you've got a good Bernadette. Thank you. Look at this. <laughs> I practiced <laughs> it at true. home and David, and David is like, do it again. Like he, li he likes it. It's Even like on the grainy archival, yeah. you can see that mouth. <laughs> it's so it small. Much. Thanks for staring at the water while you're posting for a picture. Like, she just goes on and on. <laughs> I really like Bernadette. What, what's your too. take on Bernadette? Okay, I love good, her. Yeah, I really like Bernadette. I don't know Peters. what it is. I was just attracted um, to, like, absolutely. her as a performer. Well, there, there's no, there's a reason she was, like, the Patti LuPone successor yes. as the Broadway diva, right? She's so unique. And then Quantum Leap's Scott Bakula as Hapgood. Okay. Um, yeah, this see, is, I have no idea. There we go. Is. So um, Quantum Leap was a sci-fi show in the late 80s, early 90s. I've okay. actually never seen it. Daph, have you seen it or have your parents seen it? This seems like something your parents would be into. Oh, this guy. I'm sure your mom listens to the podcast. I'm Vicky, do you, did you guys watch Quantum Leap? Please comment now. Yeah, please comment. Let us know. <laughs> also in this cast, though, <laughs> is um, this cast is great. All of um, Cora's inner circle or whatever, our um, freaking friend of the podcast, Walter Bobby. Oh, um, yes. Famed Broadway Love director. Walter Bobby. Um, Chip Zine. Chip Zine. Oh, that's right. And Ken Page. Freaking oh. Oogie Boogie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, absolutely. amazing. Um, original Old Deuteronomy, et cetera, et cetera. Love it. And someone from the original cast was in that concert. Harvey something. But yes, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. plays like one of the townsfolk, Harvey, perhaps? Harvey Evans. Plays Do Dr. Detmold. That's it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So this is very much, my impression was, this is a reading that like, they played for like one week at the equity benefit rate. Yes. Um, so they are binders in hands at all time. Right. Several places where people lose their place and like have to find it again. Yeah. Some basic choreo with the ensemble, but very little that the leads yeah. do. Like I said, a, a separate choir and orchestra that had clearly been hired on a separate contract. So that yes. it's conducted Honorarium. by it's conducted yeah. by Paul Jamagnani, which who is does fantastic a great idea. Yeah. Um. So with that said, it's like okay, Bernadette seems a little put out and um. <laughs> Annoyed at the lack of preparation. Sure. Like the whole part where she's supposed to be like the in disguise as, as the French woman. Yes. Um, she seems really checked out and grumpy to be doing it. Oh, that's funny. That said, she sings Anyone Can Whistle and it's outstanding. Yeah. It's outstanding. Like that would pay yeah. for the price of admission. Easily. For me. Easily, you know? yeah. Um, but that's so funny that she's just like... Scott Bakula is um, really, really underwhelming in it and <laughs> really seems out of his element. Um, everybody says don't is... Very bizarre. Like spoken almost completely? Yeah, he's no? a fine singer. Oh, okay. He's just not a very good performer. Got it. Like he hits the notes. I have no... Yeah. It just, 
he doesn't embody anything through is it. Is he like the one or the other performer in the Sondheim stuff in the sense that there's sometimes like a person who's the singer of Sondheim yeah. music, but it's rare that you find someone who does both the acting and the singing. <laughs> he's like a singer, but he's not a good enough singer to be like, wow, wow, wow. Right. But then he just also seems insecure when he's singing. I think I'm probably going to try to give the um, the encores recording a watch. Yes. Based on your what you say. I would. And I think I would recommend the 95 was pretty underwhelming. Other than like watch Skip to Bernadette singing. Yes. And watch um, Anyone Can Whistle. But other than that, it's don't worry fun. about it. Leave it behind. Um, in the original production, based on the Broadway cast recording. Yes. Angela Lansbury is stunning. Yep. Lee Remick, who plays um, Faye Apple, is stunning. Yeah, she's, she's so good. Also, if you haven't seen the 1985 Follies in concert. Is she in that? She's in that with Mandy Patinkin and oh, Barbara cool. Cook. Oh, it's cool. Lee Remick's in the original Omen. Remember that? No. Oh, the Omen's a classic horror movie. It's oh, okay. great. <laughs> she's great in that. I don't know. How do we want to evaluate this? I mean, let's maybe just focus on the Broadway cast recording that we heard. Yeah. You've got our takes on if you want to get more Anyone Can Whistle, that's where you want to check it out. So out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys would you give um, the original Broadway cast of this? I would say nine. I think right? nine. Right? Yeah. Angela Lansbury singing Me and My Town is really oh, incredible. It's gosh. really good. The space in the back of her molars yeah. is something we should play for all of our students. Like That's that a great lifted. Take. That's a great take. Oh, it's oh, just so open. And, absolutely. Yeah. The fact that she kept on doing it too, like up to like in the early 90s doing Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And just establishing that sound and keeping that sound going. She just seems, whereas this is me speculating wildly, whereas someone like Bernadette seems like very protective of who she is as a person and there's yep. no, nothing wrong with that. Angela Lansbury seems so open. Yeah. About her divaness. There's like an abandon Absolutely. of performance. It's, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. All right. Let's tr- let me try to guess what the Tonys were this year. Okay. So May 24th, 1964 at the Hilton. Because this is one of the hotel years. Because I think this was only the 18th Tonys. The 18th Tony Award. So this is, they would just hold them at hotels, y'all. We found this out. Like a brunch Jill and I didn't know this. We did Broadway trivia with a friend of the podcast, (laughs) Ryan Siegel, and discovered this for the first time, that they would just host these at hotels. Yeah. Um, and Angela Lansbury would like host everyone. Like it was her, this was her, her gig. I think this yeah. was a Robert Preston host. Sure. Yeah, year. absolutely. Anyway. Um, and I don't, okay. I don't know these years very well at all. So this is going to be a challenge. I think you're going to be better than you think you are. Okay. Okay. So there were four best musical nominees. Terrific. None okay. of them are anyone can whistle. I'm going to start with this show by Bach and Harnick. Yep. Had a super successful revival in 2016. Yep. Um, but this was the year that it debuted. And I believe it's based on a play. Bach and Harnick revival in 2016. Yeah. Who starred uh, in it in 2016? In 2016, we had Zachary Levi. And uh, who else? Uh, Jane Krakowski was in it. And Laura Benanti. And... Oh, um, She Loves Me. Yeah. So that's what Paul Gimignani was doing at that time. He was the original MD on She Loves Me. There we go. There we go. So we found Paul Gimignani. Yep. <laughs> in another rehearsal room. She Loves Me is a nice it's show. It's a nice show. I love that show. Yeah, I, I quite like it. Okay, so I have to yep. ask you this in a specific order. Yep. Because okay. it'll make more sense. Great. Because this Tony year was really wild to me, and I can't <laughs> wait to explain did, why did I She Loves Me take way. Best Musical? No. What? Okay. Okay, go. So the best musical was a Herman show about a certain matchmaker. Are there any other clues you can give me? I have no idea. Yeah. Um, think Big Hats with Feathers. Think Carol Channing. Think First Cloned Sheep's Name. It's Hello Dolly. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> think First Cloned Sheep's Name. And that does it. Yeah, that's Hello it. Dolly. Took Best Musical? Took Best Musical. Okay. I would, I would argue that She Loves Me maybe should have taken it over that, but I'm not mad about that. Yep. Okay. Yep. So the person yeah. who went on to later play Dolly. Dolly in the movie starred in this other Best Musical nominee. Uh, it's an, a synonym for hilarious uh, based on a person, a real person who was this type of performer and also, oh my gosh, how do I describe it? I believe this person was like a vaudeville performer. Oh, based on a person who was this kind of performer. Yeah. It's post-Gypsy. Yeah. And it's starring the person who plays Dolly. That's the that's where this is falling apart. Want who's the who's the person? The person is Barbara Streisand. Oh, it's funny girl. Yes. Yes. Okay. Great. Yeah. <laughs> 
god. Great. So, yeah. okay, so that's the third one. Funny Girl didn't... Hello, Dolly took Best Musical yes. from She Loves Me and Funny Girl. I know. That's also what was tripping I me out. I was like, for sure. I have thoughts about why, but there's big dance numbers in Hello, Dolly. Right. And there's no dance numbers really in Funny Girl, and there's not... Like, there's, like, a, maybe a dance number or two in Funny Girl. And then there's, like, no big group numbers in She Loves Me because it's, it's just, like, a small It's just uh, it's show. a little a little personal show. Yeah. Okay, so there's one more nominee. One more. This musical that I've never heard of. Okay. Ever. Ever. This is where also it gets really, like, wild and wacky for Great. me. Like, okay. of course, the Funny Girl thing is really wild and wacky. Yeah. But this is also wild and wacky. Okay. So this is a musical based on a play by Noel Coward. And it's based on the play Blythe Spirit. And it is not Ghost. And it's not Ghost. Daphne. Yeah. Thank you. It's, I don't know that you'll ever get it. I feel like Composer? I should just give it. Uh, Martin and Gray. Not, not a chance. Yeah. I didn't know there was a musical based on Blythe Spirit. Yeah. So it's called High Spirits. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. So really? it exists. I'm surprised to have High Spirits take a nominee over Anyone Can Whistle. Well, it ran for quite some time. Did it was it directed by Gower Champion, I think. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And Noel Coward also assisted in the direction of it. Okay, sure. So anyway, it was a kind of a wild time. That's so in- and that's so interesting that even as like Coward's had like a bit of a renaissance in the um yes. in the mid 2000s, um just a little bit and like that kind of the British sitting room <laughs> piece has had a bit of a it seems like <laughs> it, right? Like never high spirits. Yeah. And so correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Anyone can whistle received one nomination. It did. But none of the big 5. When you say the big 5, I want to make sure we're on um, the same Best musical, page. Yeah. best director, best actor, best actress, best music. Okay, so nope, none yeah. of those. It's surprising to me that um Angela Lansbury didn't get a nom. And surprising to me that um, yep. Sondheim scored and get a nom. Yes. Yeah. So I would love for you to tell me what other category you think it is. Probably one of the technicals, like best costume or best set. Mm-mm. Neither of those. Best lighting? No. Nope. Best choreo? Yeah. Best choreo. Best choreo. Got a nom. Didn't win. Did not win, but was nominated. Anyway, that's it. Okay. Those are the Tonys. Those were the Tonys. Okay, so we're down to our last two questions here. I think here. so. Okay, let's do it. So, Paul, should anyone can whistle... Be a musical. No, you should repurpose this score with a um, a new concept. Hmm. I love this score. I think the good parts of this score are not specific enough to anyone can whistle the story. Mm-hmm. And I think you could repurpose this into something nicer. Like Trunk style. I would love to see a true Trunk Sondheim show. I agree. As opposed to just like a... Like, what's going to be the 11 o'clock number, though? You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm you do Sin in the here. Clowns, then you do Anyone Can Whistle, yeah. <laughs> then you do Last Midnight, then you do... <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, okay. I yeah, like I, that idea. That's my take. What about you? I do not think it should be a musical, no. but I do believe it should be performed as the music in isolation. Like, the music should yes. live on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And I do like it as a piece of lore. I like it as a piece of history in terms of like to track through how things have changed over the years but I just I don't know that it's necessary that we actually do it anymore Sondheim's career plays so nicely in the second half of the 20th century it's so interesting Mm -hmm. I can't wait to do more shows of his because it it adds such rich context to what was going on with the art of musical theater and not just the commercial maneuvering yes Um, and to me that's what makes this show so interesting to talk about totally yeah okay the final question is anyone can whistle a flop a total bop or do we need to make it stop we don't need to make it stop okay that's the good news i think it is almost a total bop it's actually really close yeah for me it's not Mm -hmm. um I was bored and frustrated and annoyed at various points watching um, this show and listening to this show. Yeah. And at various points, I was pumping my fists while I was driving (laughs) to Angela Lansbury singing Me in My Town. Um, Because this is is who I am. (laughs) Yes. I totally, Um, yeah, I agree. I would say flop, but man, it's almost a total bop. I agree. I'm the exact, I feel the exact same. Absolutely. Closer than I would have expected. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's Anyone Can Whistle, y'all. Check it out. Send us a message. Talk to us about it. It's a heck Tell of a show. Us. Yeah. How do you feel about it? I'm so interested. Absolutely. Thank I can't you wait all. to talk about another Sondheim. I'm not sure what the next one we talk about is, but only about half his shows were hits, actually. Yeah. Maybe just a little over. Maybe half. just a little over. Yeah. Yeah. But still. Well, thanks, well, team. Thank you. I'm super, super excited about the next thing we're going to do. 
the next thing we're going to do, we have a very special guest on from across the pond, dear friend of the podcast and of many of our listeners, Nelson Betancourt, who yes. lives in London, England, but is originally from Winnipeg and is a very close friend and collaborator of both of us. Yeah. Um, love, love, love. We're going to do a very special Revive or Die with Nelson oh, Betancourt. Until then. Keep fit and have fun. Anyone can whistle. <laughs> Whistle for me. Everybody says don't. Everybody says don't. Everybody says don't. There won't be trumpets. <laughs> Thank you very much. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> um, shoot us a message via any of our social media platforms. If you'd like to connect with us a little bit, thank you for listening. <laughs>